0: Welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast. Their filmic adaptations and everything in between. I'm Joe, and I'm Brenna. Okay, so (laughs) we are talking about the kissing booth today.
1: We are talking about the kissing booth, and I don't think either one of
0: us want to, (laughs) but we're gonna talk about it.
1: I will take the blame for suggesting this one because I saw the ad for it on
0: wapad (laughs) no i had no idea
1: (laughs) no on netflix you know i just saw the ad and i was like oh look and i googled it and i was like oh it has a book oh that's perfect when joe and i need something light and fluffy we'll do this one (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. and the definition of light and fluffy has never been more true dear (sighs) listeners
1: god i should probably start with the news though joe do you have news
0: i do have news I am happy to report that after so many delinquent weeks, <laughs> I've finally made sure on my promise to go and watch an episode of Deadly Class. Oh. So this is, this is the TV show that has been adapted from a graphic novel. I mentioned it on the YA forecast. I mentioned it two weeks ago on The Hate You Give. <laughs> and I'm finally reporting back to say, yes, I have watched the pilot episode. So
1: it was good, I hope. Because you were um, waiting for it? Oh. <laughs>
0: <laughs> to be honest, it's a good adaptation, and all of the problems that I had with the source material are still very much present in the television version.
1: Oh, that's too bad. I was hoping for a, a Discovery of Witches situation for you there, Joe.
0: <laughs> I mean, okay, so this, if people don't remember or you haven't listened to those episodes, A, what are you waiting for? And uh, <laughs> Shame, shame. No, but... Uh, If you don't remember, so this is the graphic novel series that is about teenagers who get recruited to go to a high school for assassins. And it's set in the 1980s. So it's got a lot of interesting historical stuff that it's exploring. But at the end of the day, it's also very much a high school drama. So we've got a main character who has to go on a hero's journey to discover himself. He starts off as a homeless kid. He's escaped from a bad foster parent situation. He may have set a fire that killed a (laughs) bunch of people, which is part of what gets him onto the assassination school's radar. But it's, the text has a lot of interesting aspects to it because it's quite representative in terms of diversity. So there's gangs of various different kinds of affiliations. So there's a Yakuza gang, there's a Latino gang, there's an Aryan race gang (laughs) okay but it's very much doing the kinds of things that you know you would see in mean girls or you would see in to all the boys i've loved before where there's different populations of people and they come into conflict but in this case they also happen to have large knives and machetes and poisons and they're being sent out on secret missions
1: it sounds fun
0: It is, but it's also relentlessly grim. And the biggest problem that I had with the book series was that none of the characters are very likable because they're always in conflict with one another. So it's very much about an escalation of stakes. Like, no one is ever safe because the students are always trying to kill each other. The faculty are often trying to kill the students. Mm. And then they're also being sent out on these missions that could get them killed at any moment. And this is meant, I think, to be exciting and dangerous. And instead it just... It feels like a bit of a slog because it's really hard to relate to these characters. And unfortunately, the same is very much true of the TV show. I liked a lot of the people. One of the reasons I mentioned to all the boys of Valdipour is because the star of that, Lana Condor, is actually in this as a main character. And everybody's doing a good job, but it's just not a fun show to watch. It's kind of grim. It
1: sucks.
0: The other thing I guess I would note is that this probably straddles YA to adult fare in a fairly heady mix. So this isn't about life lessons, there's a lot of harsh brutality, there's a lot of violence, there's some pretty offensive language because it is said in the 80s, so certain things I guess are still not considered PC and therefore are fair game to be said. Mm. Like I was watching it and thinking. I cannot do this to Brenna because she... Like, you would aggressively hate this. <laughs> you would not enjoy it at all. But for Even those Even after people,
1: the kissing booth, you're going to go easy on me. I appreciate that. <laughs> I didn't promise that.
0: <laughs> but I would say if you're a fan of martial arts stuff, if you don't mind some pretty graphic violence, if you are looking for characters that are slightly nihilistic and morally bankrupt... It's interesting. It's very visually dynamic. It's very stylized. So it does have a lot to recommend in that regard, but I don't think I'd put you through it. And I don't know that I liked it enough, knowing where the book series goes, to continue.
1: Oh Well, that's too bad.
0: Well, you win some, you lose some. (laughs) That's true enough. What have you got?
1: So I'm taking the occasion of the major literary awards for children's literature for 2019 being released. Okay. So there's a big library association conference around this time every year, and that's when the big awards, the Newbery, the Caldecott, and the Prince get awarded. For our listeners, the Prince is the one that is for young adult fiction. And the book that won this year, The Poet X, is fantastic, but is not the book I'm going to talk about. Um, okay. <laughs> because one of the neat things about, I think it's the YALSA conference, something like that. Anyway, one of the neat things about following it is that they have awards for... All kinds of different like organizations can sponsor awards so there's a specific award for asian and pacific islander literature there's a specific award for black literature there's a specific award for latino literature so like you can if you're trying to diversify your reading lists you can sort of get you can get kind of granular in what you want to look at that's excellent yeah it's really cool and the one i want to point out uh for our purposes today is um Coretta Scott King, John Steptoe, New Talent Author Award, to be specific. <laughs> it's very specific. <laughs> it's very specific. It went to a book called Monday's Not Coming by Tiffany D. Jackson. And Tiffany D. Jackson is fantastic. Joe, I think you would really enjoy her books. She has two out that I've read and I guess a third coming this year. So her first novel was called Allegedly. And it's about a girl who's in like a group home kind of foster situation because... People think that she killed her little sibling oh. when when her sibling was a baby, but maybe she didn't, but also maybe she did. Tiffany Jackson does the best unreliable narrators okay. like ever and really great. It's a realist YA, but like thriller level twists in the plot and what goes on and how you find out about sort of the truth. I'm making big quotation marks with my fingers right now. hmm so Allegedly was fantastic. That was it in 2017. Monday's not coming um, is about a girl whose best friend mysteriously disappears and no one seems that bothered by no. it except her. And so she's trying to figure out like is it because everybody knows something that she doesn't know or is it because something's happened to her that's making her sort of like see the world strangely? Hmm. But again, Jackson just plays with this idea of a narrator who doesn't know the whole story in a way that's just, it's really, really compelling. So I was so excited to see that Monday's Not Coming won this new author award because it gave me a reminder to tell all y'all about it. And (laughs) her new one is coming out. It's called Let Me Hear a Rhyme, which is going to be set in the late 90s, which, as you know, Joe, I love.
0: You do indeed. (laughs)
1: And it tells the story of three teens from Brooklyn who turn their murdered friend into a rap star while pretending he's still alive. <laughs> it's like we kind of burn with late '90s thinking. rap. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, anyway, strongly recommend all the all her books are set in inner cities, often in projects, a lot of intersections with foster care system uh, and the police state, and yet. A lot of big-hearted protagonists, even as what you know about them becomes increasingly less clear as the narrative progresses. So Hmm. strongly recommend Tiffany D. Jackson, especially in the wake of her big award.
0: Yay. Good for her.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, that's very fun. All of those sound very interesting and quite different also.
1: Yeah, she's not... I was expecting, after I read Allegedly, I was expecting Monday's Not Coming to have the same sort of kind of thriller aspect, and it doesn't at all, but it's still really interesting, really twisty, and really plays with this idea of like, one of the things I love is when narrators admit that their protagonists can't possibly know everything that's going on, right? Um, And then play with that, and play with that uncertainty that like we all live our actual lives with. I find YA has a tendency to play it real straight with narrative, and I'm always excited when I find someone who wants to mix it up. Mm
0: -hmm. It's a very good observation. (laughs) Uh. <laughs> deep side, <laughs> deep side. From the
1: fun of the news, we now have to talk about The Kissing Booth. So I guess, do I have to give the plot of The Kissing Booth, Joe? You
0: go for it. You've, <laughs> okay. you've earned this.
1: <laughs> I feel badly about the whole thing, um, not least because I also had to read it. <laughs> so.
0: That is also true. We had to <laughs> suffer through this together.
1: So The Kissing Booth is a novel uh, that was published <laughs> Is it
0: <in laughs> Sorry, uh, please continue.
1: <sighs> so technically it is a realist <laughs> YA novel.
0: <clears throat> I'm just going <laughs> to mute my mic for a minute.
1: <laughs> it was published in 2013 by Penguin Random House as part of a three-book deal that the author, Beth Recall signed when she was but 17. And um, The Kissing Booth was written by her in 2011 when she was 15. And it was published on Wattpad. Joe says Wattpad, I say Wattpad. We're going to split the difference, I don't know, on that platform. The book itself is about two best friends, a boy and a girl. Uh, They were born on the same day in the same hospital. Their moms were best friends, and so they have kind of been raised their whole lives as twins. But Lee, the boy, has an older brother, Noah, and he's sort of grown up in Noah's shadow and really has some insecurities around Noah. Anyway, shockingly, Elle, the girl, develops feelings for Noah or has had a crush on him And has gotten over the crush she claims, but everything comes to a head when Lee and Elle construct a kissing booth for the school carnival to try to raise money for their school, and Noah and Elle kiss, and then they sort of secretly date for a while, and then eventually Lee finds out and is mad, and so they break up, but then Elle eventually realizes that she does care for Noah but she wants to maintain her friendship with Lee and she ends the story getting everything she wanted. What I didn't mention is that Noah is simultaneously a bad boy who drives a motorcycle and beats up everyone he sees mm-hmm. and also just got into Harvard. Because mm-hmm. he has for Harvard straight at the end A's, of the book. A's on the he football straight team. straight A's on the football team and he also never seems to go to school. Mm-hmm. So so that's a thing that's also happening in the book. Um, There's a lot the other of fantasy plot point,
0: going on here.
1: <laughs> the other plot point that I haven't mentioned, because in the book it weirdly only creeps up like once every nine chapters or so, mm-hmm. uh, is that Elle's mom is dead. And that is important for reasons Question that mark. aren't clear to me.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's important when Beth Reckles or Reckles decides that it's important <laughs> and when she forgets about it it is no longer important.
1: It's Yeah, exactly. It that's exactly it. Uh, yeah. So I started reading the book and I was like this is super weird because all of these characters very clearly have British accents and speak in British slang. <laughs> but it's apparently supposed to be taking place
0: in Los Angeles. In
1: Well, except that sort of, because she talks about how the closest community college, which is where she thinks Noah is going, because nobody knows that he's Harvard material, apparently, is in San Diego. But also she at one point references that their local baseball team is the San Francisco Giants. (laughs) And this sounds minor, but is emblematic of the problems in the book as a whole, which is that, Beth Riekels was a 15-year-old girl living in South Wales Mm -hmm. when she wrote this book, having clearly never been to California and yet decided to set her book there and yet everyone is British.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then to complicate matters, the film was shot in... In... uh, (laughs) What is it? It's uh, Cape Town?
1: Yes. Yes, Cape
0: Town, South Africa and features a lot (laughs) of Australian actors... People, we are international. If this doesn't get us Australian (laughs) listeners and South African listeners, and more UK listeners, I don't know how to accommodate you people anymore.
1: (laughs) This notion, though, of there being lots of British slang in the mouths of these supposedly American teenagers, speaks to something that Joe and I were talking about off the top, and I feel like we've been talking about a lot lately, which is the role of the editor Mm
0: -hmm.
1: in the process of a book being published. Because here's the thing, as Joe has pointed out —
0: In our Discovery of Witches episode, by the way, this is where we first really got into it. Oh, yes.
1: Sorry, yes, we first started talking about editors there. This book was published in a serial format. Mm -hmm. She was writing it to — and I should say, like, full credit to her, it is the most read piece of YA — ever on the wattpad platform
0: oh no i think it was i think uh, oh has it
1: been surpassed
0: yes by another one that i'm sure you're looking forward to that uh after oh, one no, the harry styles fanfiction oh, which apparently oh, my has god. been read more more than one billion times this one's only been read 19 million times
1: oh my god well as of 2012 mm-hmm. when she got her book deal it had only been read 19 million times yeah. okay <laughs>
0: I mean, (laughs) hello, impressive numbers for a 15-year-old girl. So really, kudos to her. We're going to trash talk this book into the ground.
1: We are. It's very bad. And
0: she will forever be wealthier and more successful than the two of us combined, so.
1: This is very true. And I was saying to Joe, like, I don't want to be the person who trashes the 15-year-old on the podcast at length.
0: No, let's trash the adult who let this slide let's by. Let's
1: trash the adult who let this slide by. What was this editor thinking? I cannot fathom why the language wouldn't have been Americanized or they just move the setting to the UK. Mm-hmm. I can't fathom why things happen in the book. Like she calls the guys who play on the American football team, she calls them footballers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Repeatedly it kills me. And like once in a while she'll just seemingly say explicitly, oh yeah also my mom is dead mm-hmm. after not mentioning it for like chapters. To, I just don't understand where the hand of the editor was in this. If any book needs an editor it's a anything published in serial fashion. B first book by anyone, and C anything written by a fifteen-year-old.
0: Mm-hmm. This is a trifecta of <laughs> things that needed a guiding, shaping hand.
1: And it is amazing how little you can see the presence of any editorial choice whatsoever. Oh, in yeah. This book, yeah, it's amazing.
0: This feels like a copy and paste that was then bound into a book and sold to unsuspecting victims.
1: If I had more hatred of myself, I would have compared the two. Like I would have gone, found it on Wattpad and compared the two. Because I just can't believe that anything has changed. I cannot believe that this has been through an editorial process of any kind. Like, the other geography gets mixed up all the time. They're going to the beach house, which they're all driving to, except that allegedly that's in Southern California somewhere, but the brother and the dad leave two days early because they're going to hit Boston on the way? (laughs) (laughs) Like, these are things that I would absolutely forgive if I was reading something in a serialized fashion for free on the internet. But this is a book that you want people to pay money
0: for. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Utterly unconscionable that you would let it go to press like this. Yeah. Evidently, there are two sequels, and unlike To All the Boys I Loved Before, I will not be reading them.
0: This is fair. I applaud <laughs> you in that decision. I mean, for, for me, the big issue is that it's not very well written. I was really taking it to task until you informed me that it had been written by a child. And then I was like, okay, <laughs> maybe this is a little more forgivable my biggest problem okay so i have two big problems the first deals with the serialization and it's that if you again we're reading this on a week by week or a month by month or chapter by chapter whatever online you would say okay i'm checking in to see what's happening with l and flynn or ellen noah whichever one you want to use him for but they just have the same conflict over and over and over again. Yeah. Like this book is 400 pages. And <laughs> I think about 250 pages is just her being like, no, we can't do this. And him being like, I'm going to press you up against this wall and kiss you. And her being like, oh, I shouldn't do this. But his lips are so soft and he's so handsome. And then we just rinse and he rinse smells and like recycle. citrus. Smell he like smells like citrus. Smells like citrus. <laughs> I was like, you're going to have to censor yourself because you're going to want to swear through this episode.
1: I agree with you about that, but I just want to point out that you're being incredibly generous when you say reading it on a monthly basis, because I read a blog post from her in preparation for this podcast where she explains how she writes her books in a month.
0: Oh. (laughs) It doesn't show at all.
1: And she was posting this to Wattpad. She posted every two days. So a chapter would go up every two days.
0: Which I gather is how you probably...
1: That's how you build a following.
0: It is geared towards younger people. We are politely in our mid-30s so again not the target audience so there's a bunch of things where it's kind of like all right do you make allowances for this and I think if we were reading this on the site we would be much more amenable to some of these issues but you're absolutely right in book form it's kind of unconscionable to have published this in the way that it is and that brings me to then the second piece and this was like the real piece and now I'm going to lay into this this book Is so regressive and frustrating I wanted to rip pages out except that I didn't pay for this crap and I got it from the (laughs) library so I'm not gonna damage it I think I might have been the first person to take it out from the library because this cover was pristine (laughs) this book is so horrible in terms of its depiction of relationships and the way that men treat women I wanted to burn it
1: Oh, masculinity as a whole does not come off well. And I think I texted you at one point to say, oh, so like Noah grows up to beat his wife, right? <laughs> like he's
0: It's so terrible.
1: Horrible. He's so controlling and she's so frustratingly ambivalent about that control mm-hmm. that I just wanted to, yeah, it, it's, it reads like a 15-year-old imagines 17-year-old romances are. Mm-hmm. That's what it reads like.
0: And this is very much the soft entry into, oh, he's a dangerous bad boy, but our love mm-hmm. can reform him that we talked about on A mm-hmm. Discovery of Witches. But the problem is, it doesn't even have the level of maturity to recognize that the fantasy that it's selling is so horrible and so damaging. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you're, you're meant to think that this is just a plucky young girl and this guy really isn't that bad, it's just that he's never met the right person. And she is that right person.
1: Yeah, and there's even that line where Lee's like, I guess if anybody was going to make him into a good man, it would be you. Like, barf, 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 barf. Yeah. Like, are you kidding? So one of the plot points is that Elle has never been kissed, and she's never been on a date. Mm-hmm. And the reason is that Noah has told all the boys in their school that if they ever ask her out on a date, he will kill them. Yeah. And she's like, oh, Wow. I mean, I don't like that he's controlled my love life, but he really does care about yeah, me. Yeah, he's protecting mm.
0: me. But it's, it's not even like, oh, he told these guys he was going to kill them. He did that. And then when Elle confronts him oh, about yes. it, he says, they would rape you. They would hurt yeah. you. You are so dumb and naive. I'm literally the only thing that's standing between you. And like, he, he makes it sound like she would be gang raped and then tossed into a ditch. Yep. Like, honestly, if listeners have not read this book, I am not exaggerating.
1: He's not exaggerating. And the horrific, well, that's horrific enough, but the horrific addendum to that is that when Elle goes to Lee, her best friend, to say, like, your brother's being so unreasonable, mm-hmm. he's like, no, he's probably, I mean, he's right.
0: Yeah. Men really are pigs. We we probably would do that to you. you. <laughs> like,
1: and- Everything that he does—I mean, at one point he at least bruises, if not cracks, the ribs of a boy who makes a, an advance on Elle. He doesn't attack her. He comes up behind her. He's asked her to go outside with him. He comes up behind her and kisses her on the back of the neck. Mm-hmm. And Noah loses his mind and breaks, if not cracks, the boy's ribs yeah. while dragging Elle away and driving her to his house.
0: Mm-hmm. And then they have sex.
1: And then they have sex. Yep.
0: So yep. if you are looking for a good man, look for the person who breaks other suitors' ribs and then just hop into bed with them.
1: Definitely the person who controls all of your actions and behaviors. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely the person who has so little respect for you that they don't think that you can function as a nearly adult human. Mm-hmm. Definitely that's that guy's the catch.
0: Yeah. But the problem is, is, honestly, it you're right. It extends not only to Lee, it even extends to Elle's father.
1: Oh, yeah. Sure does. Elle's
0: father says the same kinds of things about men. But then he also says, well, I think Noah's just using you to, like, yep. get into your pants.
1: Yeah. Oh, and that's the other thing. There's a heavy dose of slut shaming
0: here. Oh, so much.
1: Once Lee finds out about the relationship, he accuses... He accuses Noah of just using Elle as a way of sort of backing it up. He says, well, tell me that you haven't slept together then. As though the one time they've had sex would be evidence of her being completely used. Mm -hmm. It's gross. This book is gross. It really
0: is. It's just so problematic. And I honestly wouldn't care if it wasn't a big hit. But the idea of a generation of readers looking at this and mistaking the fantasy and falling for the love affair. Like... You said it. This book has two additional sequels. We're talking about it because it has a Netflix movie that was made on it. And thankfully, the movie is much better.
1: The movie is much better, but the movie is also the most watched Mm -hmm. movie on Netflix right now. Like, it's huge. I read an interview with a Netflix COO. No, CCO. One of them. One of those three-letter jobs I'll never have. He's a cool. And he (laughs) he was saying that he was... Saying the most streamed thing on Netflix right now is the kissing booth. And if you're over the age of 24, you've never heard of it. Yeah.
0: They say that every other week about all of their original content. They said (laughs) it about Bird Box. They said it about all the boys I've (laughs) loved before. They don't proclaim it for every little thing. So obviously, they did get a lot of mileage out of this. And the problem is is that people who may not have heard of the book may have been like you and they may have seen, oh, okay, this is a movie. The movie's cute. And then they go back and read the book and then. And
1: then they're horrified. Yeah. This is from the film review, but I think you will like it, Joe. Uh, it was NBC's review of the film. Annie Blundell says, um, It feels like it was written by someone who simply digested everything she was told romance was supposed to be by the patriarchy and then vomited it back at us. Yes. Yes.
0: A hundred percent.
1: And that's, she's talking about the film version, which is 9,000% less regressive. Mm-hmm. Though still a heterosexist nightmare. But um, <laughs> the, like this book is... I don't know, man. It's rare that I read something and I'm like, oh, but the children. But I read this and I was like, oh, but the children. Like, I really, yeah. I am uncomfortable with the idea that this, and it gets back to the conversation we were just having in Discovery of Witches, but I'm so uncomfortable with the fact that this is what passes for romance for so, obviously so many people, obviously such a huge audience is reading this and cheering the story on. Mm-hmm. And I'm Profoundly disturbed by that.
0: Yeah, I think I had one thing that I took away from the book that I liked, and that was well. Except, of course, it's not going to be undone by the fact that I now know that there are sequels featuring these characters. But I liked that the end of the book saw L sending Noah off to college. He's off to yes. Harvard. <laughs>
1: Although, oh my god, it was written in 2011, and she gets to walk him all the way to the gate. Which leads me to believe that this young woman had not even so much as been in an airport. (laughs) Approaching the writing of this, which is fine if you haven't been in an airport, but where the hell was her editor when... It's
0: all fiction. All of it. It's all made up. (laughs) She's not even a person. She's actually a cat.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're a decade post-9-11 PRH editor who greenlit this thing (laughs) like you can't have him walk all the way to the gate it just doesn't happen anymore
0: (sighs) but the fact that she does send noah on his way and then there's a bit of lip service about the idea that they might stick together but also the very real realization that you know what it may not work out and she's better for the love affair Ugh, but she's also in a better place herself So part of me was kind of like, that's right. You know what? You don't need this loser. He's going to go off and beat some girlfriend at Harvard. And you can live out your senior year not having to worry about boys trying to rape you. Everybody's a winner. Well, except Except that that Noah's
1: gone. Everybody's going to rape her because Noah's gone. He can't protect her from all the rapist boys they go to school with.
0: She's still got Lee and she's still got her dad. (laughs) And she's got a car. We should also make note of the fact that particularly the book is, once again, completely colorblind. Like it has no concept of diversity. No. And it's also very affluent. Everybody gets cars. Everybody gets modes of transportation. Everyone has disposable income all the time
1: but, 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 yes, it is. And yes, they do. But then she'll randomly write in this thing about how Lee is hoping that he'll get some money to put towards a new computer because his computer is like super out of date and broken down. And I was like, oh, I thought that they were really affluent on account mm-hmm. of everything else in the book about his giant pool and giant cars and things.
0: Yeah, the fact that they can buy a specialty costumes for literally every event that you can imagine. Yeah. Oh, is it a Saturday morning? Let's go to the costume shop.
1: She has no idea what the backstory of these characters is or what their socioeconomic status is. And that's fine because she was 15 when she wrote it. But what editor let this all mm-hmm. go to press? I just, uh, my mind, I can't, uh, I don't even have language. Also, one little really minor petty thing. There are basically two female characters who have any lines in this whole book. L, which is short for Rochelle, mm-hmm. and then Rachel. <laughs> Oh, dear. Are there no other women's names that you could have... Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Cool, cool, cool.
0: Cool, cool, cool.
1: <laughs> Ugh, just run the trailer, Joe.
0: Yeah, let's let's segue into something <laughs> we may enjoy talking about just a smidgen more. So here's the trailer for the 2018 film, The Kissing Booth, which was written and directed by Vince Marcello. L, let's go! We're gonna be late for school!
1: 9th grade pants and 11th grade body. Perfect. I'm Elle, and that's my best friend, Lee.
0: Oh, is that the wrong color? Oh, oh.
1: We've been besties since the day we were born. How have we stayed so close? We have a set of rules. Like rule number two, never tell anyone else our secrets. Or rule number nine, Lee's older brother Flynn, he's stupid hot, but totally off limits. When did
0: you get the booze?
1: Oh, and rule number 10, <laughs> never ever break rule number nine.
0: What an ass. I know. You got a little bit of drool right there on the corner. Right oh, yeah, yeah. Do I really?
1: Okay. The student council is expecting our idea for the fundraiser today. Kissing booth! Would Flynn be working in the kissing booth? Absolutely. Flynn will be there. I promise. Flynn's holding the booth? So, will you work the kissing booth? Absolutely not. Awesome. You have zero experience with guys. You've never even had a boyfriend. Whatever. we should. How about a ride? Where's your car? What? I'm not gonna get on that thing like one of your makeout girls. They don't all make out with me. Okay, so like 95% of them make out with me. It's too late
0: for us to turn back right now. And we know we're never slowing down. I think you gotta touch. I'll see who it it's is. Okay, I got it. Why is it from a boy? Okay, so the kissing booth features I gotta scroll down because for some reason IMDB has listed all of the Noahs and Lees and Shelleys at the various ages that open the film, which I'm like, (laughs) that's not helpful. I don't care who played them at age nine.
1: That was a great opening montage, though.
0: It really is. The film has a good energy to it, which is one of the things I like the most.
1: And that opening montage, that maybe four and a half, five minutes, does more to establish a backstory for these human beings than the entire 400-page novel. I'll just say that. Go on.
0: Okay, so the lead character is played by Joey King, who has had a reasonably successful career. She does a bit of voice work. She often shows up as the shortest actress in the room. Her bestie, Lee, is played by Joel Courtney, who I've never seen before and really wanted to give a haircut to. (laughs) And then, of course, We keep coming back to all the boys I've loved before, because this is kind of falling within the same parameters, because they're both Netflix originals, both fairly romance centric. But in this case, Noah is played by Jacob Elordi, who is an Australian, and he is the one who became famous for the movie.
1: I have to say that Joey King, who I'd never seen in anything before as near as I can figure, she had a very strong Rory Gilmore kind of energy.
0: I was trying to figure out whether or not it would be insulting to you if I said that she actually reminded me of you.
1: <laughs> I also so, have a strong Rory Gilmore energy.
0: <laughs> does not surprise anyone. I would take that as a compliment. Though.
1: I will take it as a compliment. Okay. I enjoyed her. I was really pleased with the casting of her, actually, because I couldn't imagine how they were going to make me like this person. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. And I think you're right. There's still a lot of problematics in this because you just you can't get away from the baked-in problems. Mm-hmm. But these characters actually feel like characters. They actually have a history. Yep. And to me one of the strongest additions that the screenplay makes is that Vince Marcello actually gives you a reason for why Elle wouldn't just tell Lee. Because in the book, she's like, I just can't say. Like, I just can't tell Lee. It will hurt him. And you're like, why? I don't understand. (laughs) It's just never clear. Whereas in the movie, it's changed so that they have these best friend rules that they've always lived by. And the defining rule that Lee created is that you're not allowed to date a family member. (laughs) To which I was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess the dad's off the market too. (laughs) Oh, Molly Ringwald. That lesbian hookup, I guess it's off the table, so.
1: God, I'm always happy to see Molly Ringwald show up somewhere, though. I'm always like, you'll fix this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Except she doesn't, because she's also not in this movie very right She's now.
1: barely in it. She's not in it enough. Yeah. Joel Courtney, by the way, he was the main character in Super 8. Really? Mm-hmm. The little boy, Joe. Oh. Yeah.
0: I mean, I've repressed Super 8 <laughs> a lot. Spielberg and I are not on speaking terms, so Aww. I don't like that movie all that much. Oh, okay. Okay, so what were some of the things you liked about the movie?
1: Well, as you've already said, and as we've already alluded to, we get much more of a sense of why people do things in the movie than mm-hmm. we do in the book. I also think that Noah's violence is toned down a lot. Yes. So in the film, he get, we only see him get in one fight, and it's to defend... L?
0: Uh, two. Sorry. He still gets into the fight at the party with the guy.
1: Oh, you're right. You're right. He does. Oh, and three. He still fights with his brother. Okay. So (laughs) amazingly, three is still a lot fewer fights than we see him in in the book. Yes. And so as a result, he comes across as a lot less horrifying.
0: Mm -hmm. He's not like a beast. He truly does feel just slightly overprotective.
1: Yes. And he also doesn't try to dress L the way he does in the book. So he's not He's overprotective. Uh, yeah. He is not controlling. Mm-hmm. And that makes a big difference to That's how I meet him. Yeah, and it also makes a big difference to how willing I am to go along with the romance. So yeah. for me, that was huge. I liked that it was sort of a fluffy, light, frothy romantic comedy. I enjoyed the peers at school. You know, the OMG girls mm-hmm. were fun and they made a lot more sense. In the book, Elle seems to have seven hundred and fifty friends roughly. Yeah, I could none any of, them of them are them women straight. None of them are women and there are like a mass of girls who she just calls the girls who say things at her but with mm-hmm. whom she doesn't ever really interact. And yeah. I could not keep any of the school people straight in oh, the book.
0: No. no. Um
1: whereas in the film there's fewer of them and they're more wholly realized as people with individual personalities. Yeah. There is still in the film and the book so the book has this strong undertone of not that kind of girl. So Elle hangs out with the boys and plays video games and is super cool and doesn't get the whole girly thing, but also obviously is incredibly gorgeous. Mm-hmm. The film still has some of that, but it too is toned down. So again, it feels slightly less anti-feminist and regressive than the book. It's funny because as I was watching it this morning, because for a bunch of reasons, I didn't get to watch it last night. So I ended up watching it with my toddler this morning. Oh, yeah, he kept saying, kissing boof. That's <laughs> yeah, pretty cute. <laughs> and then he wanted me to turn it off so we could play trains. Um, fair. <laughs> fair. <laughs> but when I was watching it this morning, I realized, like, I think I'm having the exact opposite experience of what I would usually have, which is that if I had not read the book first, I would have found more to bother me in the film. Hmm. But because the book had upset me so much, every time the film got something marginally better, I was just relieved. I guess it's kind of like Discovery of Witches, again, for me in that regard.
0: That's interesting. So I had actually watched this movie (laughs) independently of the podcast in the fall because I was (laughs) actively looking for something light and fluffy. You know, it was one of those, oh, I've had a bad week and I just want something nice. So my husband and I watched this and I thought it was cute, and more or less forgettable. Oh, yeah. I remember enjoying the cast and thinking that it had a fun energy to it. But apart from that, when we decided to do it, I was like, oh, I think I'm actually gonna have to rewatch the movie because I could not remember most of it. Fair. So I also rewatched it right before this. And I thought I was gonna have more problems with it. And I didn't. There was obviously still the issue of, okay, there's a lot of men trying to control this girl. But I felt that Joey King's performance and her legitimate chemistry, like Jacob Elordi actually manages to turn him into a bit of a lovable scoundrel. Yes. And it's kind of the same thing that we've been experiencing with these male actors So we talked about it from To All the Boys I've Loved Before. We talked about it in Fault in Our Stars. It's the capacity for actors to charm their way through some of the more troubling material. So I feel like I'm really beginning to appreciate that more. And it seems to be a lot of the male cast members who are having to do that.
1: Yeah, I agree completely. I do think that Joey King is just genuinely charming. And she also has that sort of a Rory Gilmore vibe offer is that she manages to straddle that line between being sort of naive about the world because mm-hmm. she's in Rory Gilmore's case bookish and in this case kind of has been cut off from the world by by the men. Yeah. So she's naive about the world, but at the same time she has a self-assuredness to her that Elle in the book does not have. No. Elle in the book has no identity <laughs> at all.
0: No, and she's constantly living in fear of being seen by people. Yeah. Like, she doesn't want people to look at her. She doesn't want people to gossip about her. But like, she also literally almost seems to not want people to interact with her, which Mm -hmm. is such a weird self-isolating thing.
1: Yeah, well, one of the reasons why she doesn't want to talk to any of the girls is because they want to have actual conversations with her. So (laughs) she prefers to go and stand in a circle with the boys and just not say anything.
0: Yeah, just get sexually objectified and threatened with violent acts.
1: You know, like you do.
0: Whereas in in the movie, I find that there were numerous times where Elle would get herself into a, a wacky predicament, because mm-hmm. this is still a rom-com at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. But she ends up, I mean, I hate to use the term plucky, but honestly, the whole movie I was like, "Oh, she's, she's so, so plucky! plucky. Like, yeah. she takes a bunch of pratfalls, like she's constantly slipping and falling. She's
1: She's plucky AF.
0: Yeah, she's got wacky dance moves, but something about Joey King's performance allows her to pull that off. And allow her to really tread that line between uh, she's kind of that insufferable rom-com heroine with also you know what I can kind of relate to her I cut you off
1: (laughs) no did you? no I didn't have anything else to say I was just agreeing Um, (laughs) I will say one thing that bothered me and I'm sure it won't be the first or the last time that we've seen it but so the entire movie is set up around this kissing booth, which, by the way, yeah. is explicitly labeled this boy is for girls to kiss and this girl is for boys to kiss. Yeah. Like they basically Here's a line well say that.
0: for boys with girl people that you can kiss.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so there's this one little moment where one of the boys looks at another one of the boys and they wink. Mm-hmm. And then at the dance at the very end, we see them, those two boys, do a fast dance together. And yep. it's like the filmmakers are being like, oh, don't worry, we know gay people exist. Yeah, Look, we, ha- being we have a inclusive. couple. We're being
0: super
1: But it's so timid to the point of being cowardly at this stage of the game.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: To call that inclusiveness. Like that kind of sidelong reference to the fact that gay teens exist is the sort of thing you expect from a John Hughes movie, not from not from a direct to Netflix movie in twenty eighteen.
0: Yeah. I can't even remember it from the first time around, but this time I aggressively dislike that. If mm-hmm. only because I was also like, who are these people?
1: <laughs> no, they're no one.
0: We've seen one of them before because he's on...
1: He's the president of Students' Council or something, right?
0: Yeah, but he's literally could not be the more generic white guy in the room. yep. yep. And I don't even know that we ever learn his name.
1: We don't. We do not.
0: And then the other guy is like, who is that? I don't think we've ever seen him before, but all of a sudden, okay. So as a queer person, please allow me to educate any young people who might be still in high school. (laughs) I doubt that we ever have (laughs) listeners that are that young.
1: Are you going to educate people by telling them that gay people have names?
0: Not only do we have names, (laughs) but just because I interact with some other... Queer person. And this was no, part of the challenge. Married. This was part you of the challenge that I had with <laughs> sex education as well. Because you have two queer people in the same center of gravity around each other it does not mean that they need to hook up or that they should be attracted to each other. Because it doesn't always work that way. That'd be like saying, hey, any boy or girl that interact should automatically date. It's like, yeah. Sometimes you're not attracted to that other person.
1: Yeah. And that is such a common trope in these movies and it's so freaking lazy (laughs) Mm -hmm. right like ultimately even if it wasn't offensive and limiting to people's like human potential it's also just really effing lazy storytelling
0: it smacks of you know what we're we're throwing this in there so that we can say yes we do acknowledge that there that there are gay people out there and to be honest it's kind of the same deal with diversity representation Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. one of the omg girls is african-american they give her all of the sassy black girl oh my God. lines, oh my which God, they so do. this actress unfortunately cannot handle. And no. she just comes off as a huge caricature. I mean, they're all caricatures, but she fares the worst.
1: When that character, whose name I don't even remember, she the G or the M? Anyway. Who could she, tell? <laughs> she was like, uh, thanks so much, bitches, to yeah. the other girls. And my toddler was going around with the living oh, room no. this morning going, bitches. <laughs> Which I like to reinforce by laughing hysterically every right. time he does it. Sure. I'm a good parent. Yeah,
0: I'm sure your husband will be really <laughs> impressed with this after this.
1: I'm really hoping he doesn't listen to this episode. Hi, honey.
0: <laughs> oh, your husband listens? <laughs>
1: <laughs> he downloads them.
0: <laughs> Mine is like, hey, do I have to get locked in the bedroom again? <laughs> to which I say, yes, you're a queer person. Get back in the closet. <laughs> I do not. I'm editing this all out. Um, yeah, so this is probably the fluffiest, the lightest, the least consequential of all of the texts that we have done so far. The
1: most forgettable. And it's interesting because in my chart of things that make me mad, (laughs) this one, so like, I think Before I Fall was deeply problematic and possibly harmful, (laughs) And I thought Discovery of Witches was written very badly. Mm -hmm. And what's great about this is that it's both. Yeah. Which, you know, wow. Way to go, Beth Mm Riekels. Not Beth Riekels. Way to go, Penguin Random House. You dropped the ball.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. I don't want to be seen as harping on a young writer. I would hope that she's maybe taking her writing seriously and she's looking for mentorship or she's surrounding herself with people who will help her to strengthen and improve because obviously there's an audience for this. Obviously she is connecting with a target group who is liking what she's putting out there, but I hope that she is challenging herself as well to put better quality content out into the world. And even if she can't write better than this... Please, God, do yourself a favor, learn geography, and also think about the consequences of just really regressive storytelling. Because this is, I legitimately fear for the readers of this book if they are young and impressionable.
1: This is very clearly a book written by a 15-year-old girl Mm -hmm. who grew up in South Wales. Like, it represents a version of reality that seems romantic to her. And I really hope that as she's entering her mid-20s, she's starting to recognize why this kind of thing that maybe teen girls think they want out of life is not what mature adult Humans want from each other. And I don't expect YA books to be about what mature adult humans want from each other, but I do expect them to not not cause harm.
0: (laughs) Yeah, don't (laughs) romanticize behavior that we have aggressively seen contributing to systemic violence against women, Mm
1: -hmm. women
0: getting murdered, women being Mm -hmm. disbelieved, women being slut chained. Like Mm -hmm. people can say, oh, the pair of you are making a big deal out of just a frothy little YA romance. These things have consequences. This mm-hmm. this is the kind of culture that contributes to real life violence and we would be remiss to not acknowledge that mm-hmm. cultural works have an impact in the world and to belittle those contributions is very damaging and potentially harmful.
1: Well, here's the thing, it either matters to talk about this stuff or it doesn't and we've clearly thrown our chips in on the side of it matters. Yes. Hence the podcast and also <laughs> the educations but i think that if it matters to talk about the stuff when it's in a you know serious tome mm-hmm. it also matters to talk about the stuff when we know that 19 million teenage girls have read it yes in fact i stake my entire academic career on the fact that it matters to talk about that stuff a hell of a lot more
0: yeah popular culture is popular
1: Mm-hmm. And just, I mean, it's funny because this movie has like 13% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's not like the critics are going like, yes, this is a good movie and everybody should see it. But go on Tumblr mm-hmm. and look around and you will find gift set after gift set after gift set of people who are idealizing the representations in this film. And it's one thing to idealize the representations in this film. I think it would be unfair to pretend that this film is doing anything worse than the vast majority of mainstream rom-coms of this type,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: but the source material is so troubling. And if people are fans, they're going back to the source material as well. And I just think that a stronger editorial hand could have protected what people liked about this narrative without allowing it to be quite so gross. (laughs) It's, It's really just gross. It
0: really is. Yeah. Yeah and uh maybe just to wrap things up on a noteworthy point but also maybe mildly amusing point if there are any young gay boys or people who are questioning their sexuality who watch this movie and you covet the kind of body that jacob Alordi has you don't get that body in high school and well, that is not a realistic body for most people to ever accomplish so by all means imagine doing your laundry on the abs but don't covet it or think that that's what you need to become. This is true. Mm-hmm. Do you have a YA bingo?
1: Bingo! Not a good bingo.
0: I can go first, if you would like.
1: Yeah, you go first.
0: Okay. So we've got oh, yeah. a... we do have a dead, dead
1: parent. I forgot, because it's so inconsequential. Yeah,
0: and even in the movie, you get a couple of tugs on the old heartstrings, where she talks about, you know, going to visit her mom, and then going to visit her mom's grave. But it really does seem like, why do we have a dead parent? Mom in this text at all?
1: <laughs> Questionable.
0: And I would say that Elle has a touch of manic pixie dream girl to her.
1: Especially in the bomb. Yeah. I'm going to go with, especially for the film version, rich people problems. <laughs> Correct. This is a total rich people problems. The, the house. The house Ooh, the, in the, the film. The house
0: porn is back. It is so for this one. In fact,
1: just honestly, just watch the film for Lee and Noah's house.
0: Mm hmm oh, did you shudder when Lee jumps off the balcony into the pool?
1: I was pretty sure it was going to be a very different movie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was like, it's before I fall. And then he (laughs) wakes up the next day and he's like, oh, I just died doing that. I shouldn't have jumped off a balcony.
1: (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, Joe, Mm -hmm. for the next podcast, we're talking about the Umbrella Academy, right? We are. I'm going to let you tell people what that is.
0: (laughs) Okay. So I think we briefly talked about this on a previous episode, and I can't recall exactly when. So if any eagle-eyed listeners wants to chime in, feel free. So this is a graphic novel that was written by Gerard Way, and he is the lead singer of My Chemical Romance. And it concerns a weird family of superheroes who come together when their father dies, and they're kind of a dysfunctional misfits. And it's now being turned into a television series for Netflix, and it stars Ellen Page.
1: Ooh, I love Ellen Page. Mm -hmm.
0: So we're going to do graphic novel to TV series adaptation, which is a new combination that we have not done before.
1: Fun, I'm looking forward to it. So if you want to tell us that we are horrible people because you loved The Kissing Booth and it changed your life, you can find us on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, please use the hashtag hkhspod. And seriously, if there is something redeeming about this book for you, I would really like to hear about it. Yes. Um, you can find me directly at Brenna C. Gray on the Twitters. Joe, where can they find you?
0: I am at B stole my remote. That's the letter B. And if you want to send us a lengthier tomb, or if you want to write your own Wattpad and direct us to <laughs> (laughs) 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 you can also send us an email at hkhspod at gmail.com
1: fabulous and we really do hope to hear from you we were hard on this book i think deservingly so but i would be happy to hear other perspectives and so until next time i'll see you on the page
0: and i'll see you on the screen